As you know, Pastor David has been doing a series from the book of Leviticus. We haven't been going through it verse by verse. It would be a much longer series. So what um, David has been doing is taking some of the highlights from Leviticus to give us a feel of what the book's about and its relevance for us today. And this is the last in this series, and he's given it to me. And he gave me uh, Leviticus chapter 23. And I said, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do that. And then I read it. And I realized it's about seven festivals. So I thought, oh, how am I going to preach on seven festivals in one sermon? Um, and that was a challenge. But I prayed about it. And I think... I think I know how God wants me to deliver this, this to you this morning. But let's pray. Father, I thank you for your presence here this morning. And our prayer is, Lord, bless your word to our hearts and glorify your name. Amen. It's been this series about being called to holiness, and my particular message this morning is, is entitled Called to Celebrate. What a great title. And it's uh, from Leviticus 23, but because of our time, I can't read through the whole of that chapter, so I'm just going to read the first three verses, because I'm going to take a lot of scriptures through the message and bring them to you. So chapter 23, verses 1 to 3 says this, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. So here God's saying at the very beginning, these are my appointed festivals. Now we have a lot of a festival. We have a lot of festivals that we appoint. Christmas and Easter, we appointed those festivals, not God. You know, and, and we have other festivals as well to celebrate different events. But in these, God has said, these are my appointed festivals. I want you to keep these annually every year. Now, why do we have, well, you know, it's all about remembering, isn't it? These festivals are about remembering. And uh, we like to, I was thinking recently we had Anzac Day, didn't we? Anzac, every year it comes up. Why? So that we could remember the sacrifice that many people made for the freedoms that we enjoy. And then we have birthdays. Elizabeth, stand up, Elizabeth. <laughs> she hates being, Elizabeth's 21 today. <laughs> so happy birthday, Elizabeth. <laughs> and um, she's coming back to our house afterwards and we'll have a little celebration there although she's having other celebrations we like to remember people's birthdays because we're saying to that person we're glad you're here we love you you're important to us and uh, uh, so we have all these different events through the year where we for the purpose of reminding ourselves about people events and so on and it was no different to how God set up these festivals. It was to remind the people of the Lord. Now, Moses, who was the leader of the Hebrews in the wilderness, he himself knew how fickle people were and how quickly they would forget God. And he said in Deuteronomy 8, verses 10 to 11, when you go into, he's talking about when they go in out of the wilderness and they go into the promised land and they start to prosper and that. He says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. 
do not be careful that you do not you think well how can they forget they you know all the amazing miracles they saw they they experienced the glory of god on mount sinai uh, they, they saw amazing miracles miracle after miracle how could they forget moses knew once things are going smoothly and there's no more problems and the harvests are full how easily they might forget be careful you don't forget that's exactly what happened uh, through the prophet Jeremiah, some years later, God said, Does a young woman forget her jewelry, a bride her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. But that's not only true of Israel, that Israel forgets God. In Psalm 9:17, the psalmist said, The wicked go down to the realm of the dead, all the nations that forget God. All the nations? That's the world, isn't it? In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 19, the Apostle Paul wrote, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who, and here's, here's the word, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. So that suppress the truth is willful forgetting, choosing not to think about God. And Peter brought out the same thing in 2 Peter 3, verse 5. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. See, they, they willfully forget. They deliberately forget. They choose not to acknowledge God. So we humans are not innocents just waiting to hear the gospel. We, the human race, we are in active rebellion against God all the time. So when God instituted these festivals for his people, it was a way of remembering. They would help Israel remember how God delivered them in the past, how he is providing for them in the present, and how he bring ultimate salvation in the future. Now, Jewish people still more or less keep these festivals. They may not always do it in acknowledgement of God. Some Jew, many Jews are secular Jews, but they do it in order to identify with their Jewish history. And if they had eyes to see, they would see that all these festivals, they combine together to tell the story of God's redemption through Christ. Now, there's so much information in these seven festivals, it's impossible for me to go through every single detail of these festivals. So if you're sitting there and you're very knowledgeable about these things, and you're thinking, oh, he's missed out this, he's missed out that, please bear in mind that I just can't possibly deal with everything. I have to give us an overview of the festivals and we have a diagram here of where these festivals fall in the calendar each month you can see there in the spring three then one in the summer and then three in the autumn and many of these festivals are to do with harvests so we start over we start with the first one which is the passover now you know many of you know about the passover already but let me just refresh your memory a little bit but uh, this goes back to the time when the hebrew people they were enslaved to the egyptians they had no control over their circumstances they were totally enslaved and the egyptians controlled them and their their, their lives were becoming absolutely intolerable so they were crying out to god deliver us god deliver us save us things were so bad way out in the wilderness there was a man called moses he'd been out there for 40 years he thought everything was over for him. His career was finished. He'd blown it. Uh, he'd, uh, he'd, he'd fled Egypt for his life. 
and he was, he was now just looking after sheep. That's what he did every day, just looking after sheep. He had no expectations of anything. He didn't see a job offered and apply for the job, you know, a deliverer needed for Egypt. Oh, I'll apply for that. No, he had no expectations at all when suddenly God turned up out of nowhere, just like turned up unexpectedly and revealed himself to Moses as I am the Lord your God. And he says, I'm sending you back to Egypt to set my people free from their enslavement. He says, I can't do that. I, 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 you're going to do it, Moses. And so Moses was sent. You know the story, I'm sure. He went to Pharaoh and said, Yahweh our God has called us to come out into the wilderness to worship him. And Pharaoh kept saying, no, 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 no. What do you think I am? Let all my slaves go free. And so he, uh, he resisted and resisted. And each time he resisted, uh, Moses, uh, under God's authority, brought a plague upon the people of Egypt. And it went on like that for some time until it came to the last stage when again uh, uh, Pharaoh uh, uh, was adamant he would not let the people go under any conditions. So um, then Moses said, then God said to Moses, that he was going to send an angel of death through the land. And this is going to be the 10th plague, the final plague. And the firstborn of every household would be struck dead. Every household. And even the firstborn of their cattle would die. But then God said to, to Moses, tell my people, they each had to take a lamb, a lamb for a household. They had to slay the lamb and take the blood. And with hyssop, they would sprinkle the blood over the, the door frame of their door. Every household should do that. And when the angel comes and sees the blood, he will pass over that house. So that night, that's what the Hebrews did. They all slew a lamb, then they, they took the blood, and they put it over the doorposts. And, um, but the Egyptians didn't, of course. They went into their homes as usual. And remember in Egypt, in those days, there, was no industrial, there were no industrial noises. You can imagine at nighttime, it was so quiet, dark. And suddenly that silence was pierced by wailing and screams. It's all over Egypt. People were discovering their firstborn child was dead. Just lying there dead. And, and the cattle, firstborn of the cattle were dead. And people were crying and wailing all over the country, except where the Hebrews lived, in their homes. They got the blood on the doorposts and the angel passed them by. And inside they had the lamb, which they roasted, and they had to eat. And uh, when Pharaoh saw this, he called Moses and he said, get out, please, get out now, get out of this land now, go, go. So they had to go instantly, they had to grab whatever they could, and the Hebrews had to flee out of Egypt and go towards the promised land. They had to go towards the wilderness uh, with great haste. Now, that lamb that was slain for the households. That is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a prophet in the Old Testament. I'm talking about the New Testament. In the Old Testament, what we have to realize is that all the prophets in the Old Testament, they had the spirit of Jesus in them. They prophesied of Jesus. And Isaiah in chapter 53, verse 7, he said this, of Jesus, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And then when Jesus did come to the earth, and John the Baptist saw him when, John, when Jesus came towards the River Jordan, John saw him and pointed him out and says, Behold, the Lamb of God. 
He knew this is the one. And then Jesus, at the Last Supper, do you know the Last Supper was the Passover? He gathered his disciples together for the Passover, and they sat at the table, and Jesus took the bread, and he said, this is my body which is given for you. And then he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new blood. This, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. What he was doing at that Passover, just before he was arrested and taken away, was he saying, the Passover is about me. I am your lamb. I am the one to save you from judgment. Now when the, it was, they were specifically told, the Hebrews, that when they roasted the lamb and they ate the lamb, there must be, not, be nothing left over in the morning. What was left over had to be incinerated. They were specifically told, do not break any bones. And when Jesus was on the cross, the priests came to the Romans and said, oh, can, can you get those bodies down? We don't want those bodies hanging up there over the Sabbath. Can, can you get them down, please? It'll profane the Sabbath. So the Romans looked at these bodies, and crucifixion was a long, slow death. You didn't die quickly. You hung up there for days and died slowly. It was a ter terrible way to die. So they went to, um, to the to the victims on the cross and they would break their legs they broke the legs of the victims in order to hasten their demise and then they came to Jesus and they saw he had already died so they didn't break his leg not a bone was broken exactly as was predicted it's about Jesus he is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world and then we come to the festival of unleavened bread. And this is actually a continuation of the Passover. And this is where they take the unleavened bread. Now, this is the best I can do for unleavened bread. Uh, the Jews have a matzos. It's a, it's a, it's, um, a bread some, similar like this. There's, there's no rising age in it, in it at all. No leaven. Uh, and so... The reason for that is because when the Jews fled Egypt, they didn't have time. You know, like with sourdough bread, you know, you have you have the you have the culture that's in there, and it and it rises up over time, and then you bake it. They didn't have time for any of that. They just grabbed the flour and the water, they threw it together, and they quickly baked it, and it came out with unleavened bread. And that's what they ate for seven days as they were hurrying away to get out of Egypt. And God created this festival of unleavened bread for seven days when they would remember their deliverance from slavery. Leaven represents sin in the Bible. God said to the Hebrews in Leviticus 20 verse 7, Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am the Lord your God. That's, that's the reason. Be holy because I am the Lord your God. God is holy you're my people, you be holy, because that's how it has to, that's how the only way we can have a relationship. Get rid of the old leaven. In, to the Gentile believers in Corinth, Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 7 to 8, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, 
has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So that speaks to us of when we come to Christ out of our sinful ways, we, we sh- lay away, we, we uh, shed those, the life of sin that we've led, and our lives are transformed, our lives are changed by the power of Jesus Christ. It also speaks to us of Jesus, because Jesus was without sin. Then we come to the festival of first fruits, and this is the sheaf, this is where we bring the sheaf of the barley. The barley was the first harvest, and as soon as it began to ripen, they would cut a sheaf, and they would bring it to the temple, and the priest would get, get this sheaf, and he would wave it before the Lord to say, this is the beginning of the harvest. This is the first sheaf of the harvest is to come. And we thank you, Father, that you have provided us this harvest. It's all of you. You are our provider. What does it say to us? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, it says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That what I'm saying is that Jesus died on the cross, Passover and everything, but then on the third day he rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, we thought, oh, that's great, he's risen from the dead. Jesus has conquered death, that's great. But he didn't just conquer it for himself. He conquered it for you. He conquered it for me. He was saying, in effect, when he rose from the dead, I'm doing this for you so that you can conquer death as well. It says 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23, Christ the first fruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. That's our destiny, my friends, to be raised up. When we go into the grave, that's not the end of the story for us. We shall be raised because Jesus was raised for us. He is the first fruits. He is the waving before the Father. Then we come to the Festival of Weeks. Festival of Weeks took place on the 50th day after first fruits. In other words, seven times seven weeks. Seven Sabbaths. And that day is also known as Pentecost. And that was the wheat harvest, Thanksgiving. And there the priests would bring two loaves baked with yeast, along with various animal, grain, and drink offerings. The priest would wave two lambs and two loaves before the Lord. For us, it signifies the birth of the church on that very festival 2,000 years ago. When Jesus rose from the dead, Did you know that he didn't ascend to heaven for 40 days? For 40 days he remained on the earth in his risen body. He would appear and then disappear, appear and disappear. You think, why? Why why, why didn't he just go to heaven? Why did he hang around for for 40 days? It's because he was giving his people proof that he was alive. So many people saw him that it couldn't be denied. You couldn't say, oh, it's a figment of his imagination. He said he saw Jesus. No. So many people saw him, even people who didn't believe it, like Thomas. They saw him and they said, he is alive, he is risen from the dead. And after he had done that, then he ascended up into heaven. And before he, just before he went up, he said, now, he said to his disciples, tarry in Jerusalem until you be endured with power from on high. Stay in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. So he went up into heaven. They waited 10 more days. They waited in Jerusalem until it came to the very day of Pentecost, the 
festival of, of, uh, of weeks. On that very day, and of course there were thousands of Jews from all over the diaspora that had come to Jerusalem for this festival. They're all over there, all around, uh, filling the city with, with, with all these people. Whereas the disciples were hiding in this room, upper room. They're all there, crowded in there, waiting, waiting, waiting. Jesus said, we've got to wait, got to wait. So there they are waiting. And suddenly, there was this tremendous noise, the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And you know, in our house sometimes, I don't know if it's like you, when, you know how wind suddenly turns up? It's all calm and suddenly a wind will come and the house shakes and there's a noise. Imagine I don't like to be where there's a tornado, but I can, I've been told it's a terrible noise, a really loud noise when a, a tornado or a hurricane comes through your, your area. And that's what it seemed to them, a, a loud noise of, like a wind. And then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and there were tongues of fire and they were speaking in languages that they never learned. And they, they must have been so excited that they spilled out into the street and they were all praising God and in other languages they didn't know in speaking in tongues. Of course, there were people from all over the world there, all over the Roman world, from the diaspora, from different, and they all spoke different languages and they, they looked at these local, local yokels there, uh, worshiping God in their language and said, what is this? They must be drunk. And they thought, no, they can't be drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. The pubs aren't open yet. So uh, they were confused. And then Peter stood up and he preached an amazing message. He said, this is that which is in the prophets. And he quoted the Old Testament prophets. This is what God predicted would happen in the last days. He poured out his spirit upon all flesh. Fulfillment of prophecy. And you know, 3,000 Jewish people gave their lives to Christ when Peter finished his sermon. 3,000. Harvest festival, my friends. What a harvest festival on that day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. 3,000, this wheat harvest bringing in. And that was God was saying, I've given to the church the Holy Spirit so you can go out and get the harvest of the world. This is just the beginnings. This is just the wave offering. But there's a big harvest coming from around the world. And you know, ever since then, millions of people all over the world have come to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and give their lives to him. The two loads that were lifted, Jew and Gentile, two that seemed like irreconcilable, but they have become one of the same gospel on that day of Pentecost when the Jewish people received the Holy Spirit. And then they went out and told it to the Gentiles and they came to know the Lord. God is doing a great thing uh, in our world through this Pentecostal outpouring upon the world. James chapter 1, verse 18, it says, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we may be a kind of first fruits of all he created. You and I, my friends, are part of that harvest. You know, that was 2,000 years ago. Not that many years ago, there was a young man in London in a youth meeting, and the Holy Spirit came upon him, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he spoke in other tongues. And that young man was me. But I am part of this harvest. The same Holy Spirit came upon those disciples, came upon me, and has come upon you, my friends, if you've yielded your life to Christ. You are part of that harvest. Then we come to the festival of trumpets. 
The final three festivals were observed on the seventh month. Men from across the nation would remain in Jerusalem for three weeks, for all three festivals. The first day was also New Year's Day in the civil calendar. And on that day, trumpets would be blown. That's why it's called the Festival of Trumpets. And it was the Sabbath, even if it didn't fall on a Saturday. Now, you know, trumpets are a form of alarm. And I want you to hear what the, you may know already, but let's hear the shofar. Louder. Thank you. Imagine all over the country, the trumpets blaring. What are trumpets for? Sound an alarm. Sound an alarm. The Old Testament and New Testament, the Bible, is sounding an alarm. It's sounding an alarm to the whole world. And it's calling, the gospel of Jesus Christ is calling for repentance. You see, these days, there's a lot of alarms going around. When I watch the news, I often see this, even just this, this past week. Climate change. No, alarm. It's terrible. We're all going to be flooded. Fires everywhere. Um, yeah, we, we've got to do something about this. This is terrible. We're doomed. Or it's the economy. The economy's tanking. We're, we're all in, you know, we're all going to be in trouble. Uh, uh, we've got to do something about the economy. We, we shake up, shake, the government needs to sh do a shake-up. Something's got to happen. We're, gonna, well, we're, all, we're all doomed. And so it goes on. We get all these alarms. But whenever do you hear them sounding an alarm for Judgment Day? Whenever do you hear them saying on the, in the news media, get ready for the Judgment Day? Well, of course, you never do. That alarm will only come from the church from the gospel proclaimed. There's a terrible, terrifying picture of judgment at the coming of Jesus Christ described in Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 to 17. It says, Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. The, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can withstand it? Have you ever heard of anyone being savaged by a lamb? And yet here it says, Save us from the wrath of the Lamb. Of course, that's a reference to Jesus. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb who died for us. But here he comes in his second coming. The judgment. Sound the trumpet, my friends. He's coming back. Are you ready? That's what this is saying. Are you ready? Jesus talked about his coming, and when he describes the coming, it's like, you know, like it's when you go to the cinema or theater, and everybody comes in, they're all finding their place, and they're sitting there, and they might have popcorn or eating sweets, drinking their Coca-Cola or whatever, and... Uh, 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 and talking, nattering to one another, and suddenly the lights dim down, 
And everybody goes quiet. And it gets dimmer and dimmer until it goes dark. And everybody goes quiet, waiting for something to happen. They know something's going to happen. And then a light shines on the stage. And everybody's eye is on what is being revealed by the spotlight. The Bible says that in the last day, the whole earth, the whole globe will be, will, will be covered in darkness. There'll be no sun, no moon, no stars. A shroud of darkness will come over the whole earth. And everybody will be disturbed, as you can imagine. They'll come out into the streets. They'll say, what's going on here? Why is it so dark? What's happening? Everybody's waiting for what's going to be revealed. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. My friends, that last trump, you've got to be ready for that last trumpet call when Jesus comes and sends his angels to gather those who we know belongs to him. And for the Jewish people as well, what a shock it's going to be for them. In Zechariah chapter 12, this again is the Old Testament, a prophet in the Old Testament who also had the spirit of Jesus upon him. And he said this, they will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one who mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Who is he talking about? Who was pierced? Jesus. And Jesus is saying through this prophet that on that day, they was, the Jewish people will look up and see Jesus coming, the one that they had rejected. And they will mourn. They will grieve bitterly for him. That's the Feast of Trumpets, the warning. Then comes the Day of Atonement on the 10th day of the seventh month. This is also known as Yom Kippur. To the Jews, it's a reminder of their need for atonement. Now, the thing about the, the uh, Day of Atonement was only the high priest could officiate at this. And it's because he would go into the temple with the blood of the sacrifice. And in the temple, uh, there's the holy place. And then there's the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. The priest could go into the holy place, only the priests, but only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. And he would go in there only once a year on the Day of Atonement with the blood of the sacrifice. And he would go through the veil and into the Holy of Holies, and then he would sprinkle the blood on the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, to make atonement for the sins of the people. And people would wait in bated breath wondering if he will emerge from that because if he did anything wrong, he could be struck down dead. They were waiting to see whether he would be successful in atoning for their sins. And when they, he came out, when he would come out, oh, he's washed away our sins. God has accepted the sacrifice. What is this saying to us? Well, they've got the trumpets, the gospel alarm is to, is to show us, to warn us, to uh, to make us aware that there's a judgment day coming. To tell us that we're, as it says in Ephesians 2 verse 1, that we're dead in our trans transgressions and sins. 
But the atonement is to say, is there anyone who can represent us? Is there anyone who can go into the presence of the Father on our behalf to represent us? Is there anyone who is worthy to do that? Yes, Jesus is the only one who is worthy. He's become our high priest, and he's the one that went up into heaven when he ascended to heaven. He took out, his, as it were, his blood, and he went into the Holy of Holies. He went to the presence of the Holy Father, and he offered himself to the Father on our behalf, and God accepted that sacrifice. And he is there now as our high priest. When Jesus went up into heaven, when he ascended to heaven, he didn't say, oh, man, I'm just so glad to get out of here. This, this world is a terrible place. Goodbye, world. And off he goes to paradise. Glad to be free of that. And uh, it's over to you now, guys. Um, and I, I'm off. And so it wasn't like that at all. When Jesus went up into heaven, he went up for us with the wounds in his hands. He still had the wounds in his hands. He still had the marks of his crucifixion. Why? When everybody else, when we're raised from the dead, there won't be any wounds. When you are raised from the dead, you will not have any surgery wounds or art bits missing. You know, when you, you, you will be raised perfect. You won't, I won't need these spectacles when I'm raised from the dead. We'll be raised perfect. But why wasn't Jesus raised perfect? Why was he raised with the wounds in his hands and in his feet? Because he was going into the presence of the Father as our high priest to intercede for us. He will show the Father his hands and his feet and say, Lord, I sacrificed myself. I died for these people. And the Father would see the wounds in his hands and his feet and realize that he can forgive us because someone's paid the price. He is our high priest. That's what it means when he's making intercession for us. He's there constantly on our behalf in heaven. He is our high priest. We need to know that, my friends, so that we can have peace with God. We can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Israelites, the Jews, as I said, when they see him, when they see that he is the true high priest, the Apostle Paul himself was Jewish, and he grieved over his people. In Romans 11, verses 25 to 26, he said, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. My friends, the Bible is saying that in the last days, there's going to be, in that last time when the trumpets are sound, there's going to be a, a huge spirit of repentance that will come upon the Jewish people. Now, I feel for the Jewish people. I'm a Christian because a Jew spoke to me about Jesus. A Jew had only been a Christian for three months, had an amazing conversion, and he invited my dad and me to church. That's how I ended up in a, in a church. To hear, and I heard the gospel and became a believer in Jesus because of one Jewish believer. And there are many Jewish believers in the world today, but we want all of them to come to know Christ. And Paul says, they will when that day comes. The high priest did everything on Israel's behalf when he entered the holy place. And it says in Hebrews 4 verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into the heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. My friends, hallelujah. We have a, when I'm praying, I'm thinking, oh, Jesus, you are my high priest. You're there for me. I have the right to come into God's presence and pray because Jesus is there for me. Hold on to the faith you profess. And then we come to the last one, which is the Festival of Tabernacles on the 15th day of the seventh month. On the 15th day of the seventh month, uh, this is where uh, 
like it's on the thing. <laughs> had a little twig there thing. <laughs> Doesn't matter. We just uh, have a, a branch. They bring branches. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Forgetfulness. Yeah. Uh, they are to, all the Jews are to create temporary shelters. They still do it today. They create them in their gardens or on their balconies. They will um, create these shelters. And they'll put like uh, branches over the top so that they can still see the sky through it. And uh, they do this. And they, they stay in their shelters for, for seven days. Uh, and God said it's to remind them of their journey through the wilderness. As they went through the wilderness, um, what was happening, in, while they were in the wilderness, they were having an encounter with God. God came to them in the wilderness and said, you are my people, I am your God, I am your king, I am in your midst. And God came into their presence. They saw the glory of God in their midst. And they experienced his presence. You know, this has always been God's desire, right from the very beginning. God's desire has always been to be with you. That's always been his desire. He's wanted always to dwell in our midst. And it was a joy for him to take his people into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, there was nothing there to distract them. There were no shopping malls. There were no towns or villages. It was just an empty space. It was, in fact, Arabia. Just across, they went across, across the Gulf of Aqaba, and uh, they walked on dry land through Aqaba, and then they got over into Arabia. And there they are in Arabia, and they're there. There's nothing here. There's no bread, there's no food, there's no, there's no, there's no water, you know, we're, we're, what's going to happen? And then God gave them manna from heaven, he made water come out of the rock, God revealed his glory and his presence to them, and he spent time with them. So that tabernacle was to remind them that God wants to dwell in their midst. You know, there's a Hebrew word for tabernacle, but there's also a Greek word for tabernacle. And the New Testament was written in Greek. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, this doesn't come out in all the modern versions, but this is how it, how it was said. The word became flesh and made his tabernacle among us. The word became, that's Jesus is the word, became flesh, was incarnate, came among us. And he made his tabernacle. You know, some years ago, there was a, a missions director and uh, he would go to Africa to visit the, the mission stations and visit the uh, uh, you know, the churches out there. And some of the pastors, the African pastors, they complain. They say, why is it when the missions director comes out here, he stays in the, in the top hotels in the town? He doesn't stay in our homes. What's going on here? Why didn't you do that? So he was asked, you know, why, why don't you? And he said, it, well, he said, it's because um, I have to be careful of food poisoning and, you know, drinking water that's contaminated and so on. And, you know, I've got to travel and I can't afford to be ill, so that's why I stay in the hotel. So, and I was thinking of the Lord Jesus. You know, there he is in paradise, being adored by those angels, and he comes down from his glory, and he comes down to earth, and he stays at a five-star hotel. No. He came to dwell among us. He came to be with ordinary people, to be in their homes, to be with us. He made his tabernacle among us because he wanted to be one of us. Now, prophetically, the Feast of Tabernacles is the culmination of trumpets and atonement. Before Jesus died and ascended to heaven as our high priest, he told his disciples, in John 14, it's recorded, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. That where, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. See what he's saying? He's, he doesn't say to you, when you get to heaven, you're going to you know, wander off somewhere. He says, no, you're coming to live with me. I'm going to prepare a, a room for you in my father's house so that when your time comes, I will come for you and bring you to myself so you can be with me. He wants to be with you. He wants to be with us. That's always been God's desire. There's a joyful harvest aspect to the Festival of Tabernacles, and everyone was invited to participate. In Deuteronomy 16, verses 13 to 14, it says, Celebrate the Festival of Tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. Be joyful at your festival, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns. This was a great time of celebration. Everybody was to be involved. Nobody was to be left out. And that's how it is with salvation, my friends. It's for everybody. This points to the Lord's desire for us, which was there from the beginning. He wants to be with all of us. Don't think that you're not worthy or that you're inferior. He loves us all. And his, he, his desire, his end time desire is that he can live with us. He wants fellowship with us. In Revelation 21 verses 3 to 4, he paints the picture of what's to come. John, in this vision that he saw, he wrote, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. You see, my friends, God remembers us. He remembers us. He's thought about us. He wants to be with us. And he's planned this wonderful occasion when we shall be with him, and all sorrow and, 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 and sighing will flee away. All pain will be taken away and all, every tear will be wiped from our eyes. There'll be no more suffering, no more bereavement. It'll all be past when we dwell in his presence and he will be in our midst and he will be with us. That's always been God's desire. So in conclusion, these festivals are all about Jesus. What is done is doing and will do. And they're saying, don't forget. Don't forget me. I will not forget you. But will you forget me? And you say, well, how, how, how do we remember? Well, there are various ways in which we can remember. We don't have these, we don't, we don't practice these festivals that I've just gone through now as new covenant believers. But there are several things that we can do. One of them is when we have communion. Every time we have communion, we gather together, and Jesus gathered his disciples, and he, he instituted this. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Now, he didn't say, this is my body broken for you, which we I don't know why it is that we pastors, we often quote the King James, which says broken for you, but that's not a good translation. All the best manuscripts don't say broken. 
they say, this is my body given for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. And when you take a piece of this unleavened bread or sourdough bread as we often use here now, doesn't matter. As you take a piece of bread and you eat it, why? He's saying, because I want every one of you to know I did it for you. And you eat that bread and you say, you did this for me, Lord. You didn't do it just for the pastors. You didn't just do it for the world. You did it for me. I'm eating it. He's part of my... And then he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Drink this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. A new covenant in my blood. He's saying, you're coming into a covenant relationship with God the Father. And so we remember. We remember him because of that. And then the, the second way is uh, by reading the Bible. You know, in those old, te- old Testament days, they didn't have Bibles. They had to go to the synagogue to hear the, the manuscripts read. We have Bibles, either paper ones or digital ones. And we can every day, we can open our Bible and be reminded of who God is, what he's doing for us, who I am in Christ, what my destiny is. I'm being reminded. And that tr- has a transforming effect upon my life. And then there's fellowship. What we're doing this morning. We've gathered here. Why have you turned up this morning? Because you know that fellowship is important. To hear God's word proclaimed and to talk to one another about the things of God. What are you doing? Reminding yourselves of who your God is, what he's done for you, and what your destiny is in Christ. A reminder. They are reassuring us that God has not forgotten us. But have you forgotten him? Have you been willfully forgetting him? That is to say, you just don't want to think about it. Don't want to think about him. Don't want to think about his will for your life because it's inconvenient. Or it means you've got to change certain things. That's willful, my friends. And hear the trumpet call of the gospel that you need to, re- to do something about and repent of that before it's too late. But for all of us here who have remembered him, and we've given our lives to him. We are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And we have an amazing future through Jesus Christ. And so God tells us, when you have this festival of tabernacles, to celebrate, to have great joy. And the Bible says, rejoice, rejoice. Again, I say, rejoice. God has done great things for us. Now, you know, there's a song that we used to sing years ago, a hymn uh, called When We All Get to Heaven. And uh, when I was preparing this message, I thought about that chorus, uh, when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. We'll sing and shout the victory. Does anybody else remember this? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Now, I I have to say that um, there's a slight, this is a slightly amended version I found. The tune was just slightly different to what I was accustomed to. They nearly threw me at first. But we're, we're <laughs> um, so if you're from the old school like me, you might want to burst into a different, uh, on a different, uh, um, a slightly different tune. But we'll try and keep with this one. Just, just listen to it. Uh, you can join if you can, but listen to us as we sing this to you. And then come and sing it along with us as you get the hang of it. When we all get to heaven, What a day of rejoicing that will be When we all see Jesus We'll sing 
and shout the victory. Try sing along. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Well, thanks for listening. We hope this teaching has served you well and that you've sent something of God's voice speaking to you. If there's any way that we can help or pray for you, support you in any way, we'd love to be able to do that. You can find out our contact info on our website at thewellnz.org 